Dane came all the way down from Oregon to enjoy that great, wonderful football game. And uh, so they're with us today, and we got him from Texas, we got him from Oregon, and he's wearing a USC shirt in recognition that these guys were bad and they made him. Okay? So that's it. That's all I'm going to say. They were bad. Although if he would have told me beforehand, I would have brought a jersey for him. Yeah. Hey, good stuff. You know, how do you explain color to a blind person? The reality is you can't. Okay, because color is, is a term or an idea that a blind person cannot understand. They can never understand it until they can see the day in which God gives them sight. They'll go, ah, I get it. Now, today we're going to talk about an incredibly powerful understanding of who God is. Jesus teaches us that God is made up of three personages who are present in one and yet able to respond and interact in completely different ways. And they're all a person themselves, and yet they're together and united and they're not apart yet. They are, but they, you can't explain the Trinity. It's impossible because we are finite beings trying to explain an infinite being. So we can come with a lot of different pictures and ideas and all of them will fall flat. Every one of them. What we can do, however, is recognize what Jesus teaches us concerning the reality that God expresses himself in three different ways with three different persons. Jesus, the son. God, the Holy Spirit and God, the father. Each one has a distinct role, a distinct system of authority, a distinct way in which he is to respond and interact with his people. And we'll learn some of that today as we walk through this uh, marvelous chapter in John 14, where Jesus deals with the issue of death and life and brings forth to us very, very clearly what we refer to as the Trinity or the three oneness of God. Let's... um. Let's take a look at a little clip that we've got here that maybe it'll give you a little clearer idea. I don't think so, but maybe it'll help a little bit. John chapter 14. Turn with me there. John chapter 14. I'll read as you follow along. Jesus refers to the issue that he's just told them that he's going to die. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many, many rooms. And if that wasn't so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back. And I'll take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You've even seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. It's the Father living in me who is doing his work through me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do all the works I've been doing. In fact, they'll do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask for anything, anything in my name. And I will do it if you love me, keep my commandments. And then I'll ask the Father. And he'll give you another advocate, a counselor to help you who will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. He lives with you, within you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, this world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you'll realize I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I'll show myself to them. And Judas said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me won't obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And all this I have spoken while I am with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the lawyer, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He'll remind you of everything that I've said. Peace, I live with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give as this world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Now, you heard me say I'm going away. And then I'm coming back. And if you love me, you would be happy. You'd be glad because I'm going to the Father and he is greater than I am. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, and it will, you will believe. I'm not going to say much more to you because the prince of this world is coming. Now, I want you to understand this. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father And I do exactly what my father has commanded me. Father, we ask that you might speak to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Clarify the words of your son so that we might find ourselves walking in light and experiencing truth. And especially and foremost, as you put forth here, experiencing peace in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives. Lord, speak to us. Pour peace upon us. Grant us the ability to hear and understand and to respond and to walk with you. And Lord, we ask that in your son's gracious name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In this particular section, the primary verse is peace I give to you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, my peace I give to you. The focus in this chapter is about how Jesus will provide us with peace through his life given for us through the Father who loves us and through the Spirit who will pour himself into our lives and give us understanding 
that results in peace as we respond to the truths he's given us. So as you break it down, I think maybe the first thing you begin to say is Jesus says, I am the way. And if you know me, you'll be able to deal with the issue of death. You will have peace in relationship to death in your life. I remember my wife had a car accident earlier, a marriage, and she talked to me later out about it. We were in the hospital during Christmas, and she said, the most wonderful Christmas gift I've ever had. And I said, what's that? She said, I now have peace. I'm not afraid of death anymore. I know that God is with me. I know that he'll take care of me. I no longer question it. It's a wonderful, incredible, glorious gift. And that's the gift that Jesus, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Recognize who I am and what I've done. And when you do, I will give you peace that nobody can comprehend. You just need to accept it and allow it to come into your life. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going away for a reason. So don't be troubled. Trust me. I have to leave to get heaven ready for you. That's what he's saying. I have to leave to get heaven ready for you because what I'm going to do will open up the doors of heaven. And allow all people to come in and have their very own place, their home, their house, their condo, you know, whatever you want to call it. The wonderful, glorious ability to live with God and to enjoy life as it's meant to be enjoyed in its fullness, complete, totally done. He said, you can know without question that you have eternal life when you respond to me, when you receive forgiveness for sin and the ability to live life without regret. But he goes on to tell us, he says, you have to understand something. Flesh and blood cannot inherit what? The kingdom of God. It can't. He says, your flesh and blood cannot get into heaven. As you are right now, you can't get there. You have to be changed. You have to experience this incredible change. Earlier you talked about it's like a seed that's planted into the ground. And that when it's raised up, it turns into a wonderful tree. Or a glorious plant or whatever it may be. But he says that particular thing that you will be, you don't know now. You're just a seed. But you'll experience this immortality and this wonderful change on that special day because of what I've done. I go to prepare a place for you and for you and for you and for you. See, that's the cry. It's personal. And that's what he's trying to tell each one here. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you. He understands the emotions that they're feeling right now. He says, I'm coming back. It's okay, guys. I'm coming back. And when everything's ready, I'm going to come for you at the right time. Each one of you, individually, I will come for you. Death is just a shadow for those who know God the Father. It passes over you as you move into eternity. It's the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a new journey. It's a bridge that leads to immortal life. So the Bible says, as Paul shares with us, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race and now I'm going home to receive the reward that God gives to all those who love him, who live according to his purpose. No eye has even seen or mind has been able to conceive of the wonder of what God has prepared for those who respond to the gift of his son's life. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. The mortal must clothe itself with immortality. It must, not should, it must, before we are allowed to go to the place that's being prepared for us. That's the cry of Jesus to each one. When we leave this life, we'll be escorted by Jesus into the Father's hands. When I die, I don't expect to see a light. I expect to see a hand. A hand. 
a nail-pierced hand. As Jesus individually, one by one, miraculously, God-like, responds to us and reaches out and takes our hand and pulls us into heaven. There's no gate. Pulls us into heaven, into the place he's prepared for us and says, welcome home. And we're like, oh my goodness. Whoa, that's what you talked about. That's what you meant when you said color to a blind person. I couldn't comprehend it. I didn't know what color was. I never saw it. That's the place that he's preparing for us. I am the way. Know me. If you know me, then you will know the way. Believe in the light while you have the light and you'll become children of the light. It's the cry of God to us. How can Jesus be the only way? There's got to be another way. Jesus said, I'm it. I'm enough. I'm sufficient. Everyone will be able to come in this way, in this manner, through this person, this God who died for me. God saves us to live a new life built on truth, showing us the way to life. Don't be troubled. Be at peace. So the cry of the early church was, Aniva Shalom Achaya. Can you say that with me? Aniva Shalom Achaya. Turn to the person next to you and say, Aniva Shalom Achaya. And say, what did you say? He said, the peace of Jesus be with you. That's what you just said. The peace of Jesus be with you. And that would be the cry of the early church. We come together and hug each other and say, the peace of Jesus be with you. It's the cry of the church in Nigeria after people are being killed and put to death tens of thousands for the Christian faith. And they reach out together and they see each other with arms and they embrace one another and they say, the peace of Jesus be with you. In the language that God gives them. So they might understand this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And there'll come a day and a time in which I go to the place that's been prepared for me. I know Jesus. And because I know him, I have peace here. Peace from the fear of death. Wow. Now that is peace. He provides life and truth. He says you simply need to recognize the truth that you're a sinner and you need to admit it. Come to that place you say, I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. And he says, I know. I'm the way. And we begin to believe that he is who he said he was. And that he did what he said he would do. So that we might become who he desires for us to be. And then we choose. We make him Savior and Lord or we reject him. And if we choose... At that time, the Father speaks to our hearts and we find ourselves with this incredible peace, recognizing that Jesus has answered our prayer. I am the Son, I'm the way, I'm the life, I'm the truth. Know me. Then he says, I'm also the Father. I said, Jesus, you're confusing me. What do you mean? He said, I'm the Father. See me. Look at me. You see the Father. You need to have vision, Lee. You need to look beyond just what your eyes can see. You need to begin to think about color for a blind person. You need to have vision. It was Helen Keller, the blind person, who said, The worst thing in life is not being blind. It's having sight but no vision. 
having sight but no vision. And Jesus is saying, you need to know the Father. See me. See me. Recognize who I am. Look through the, the lens of faith. You're able to know before you can see. You're able to know before you can see. I know because of who it is that I know. Now I can see before I know. Hebrews eleven six says, faith is available to anyone. Those who come to God and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's the awareness of what God will do as we look at what God has done. We have hope because of God's presence within us. It's hope that gives us eyes of faith. And we look forward to what God has in mind. And we expect God to do something special. We just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And that's what faith is all about. The excitement of Christmas morning. And I, there's the present. I knew he was going to get me something. I just didn't know what it was. I go, wow, this is so cool. I'm just looking at videos of my grandchildren at Christmas this last year. They were so excited over these stinking whistles. My wife said, I can't believe you got those things. I went, I didn't know what they were doing. And they were whistling away. Oh, boy. They like those better than all the expensive gifts. Gifts that God wants to provide for us. So we see with faith. And then we see with hope. Because vision has hope. Faith without deeds is worthless. Now, hope is this sense of, I begin to act as if it's going to take place. As I, if I think it's going to rain... I don't do anything. But if I believe it's going to rain, you know what I do? I get an umbrella. I get ready. I get out my rain gear. I get ready because I believe it's going to rain. Now, if you believe it's going to rain in Southern California, someday it will. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I agree, Tony. Someday. <laughs> wow, Lord. But when we believe, we act on it. If we believe that God's going to take care of all our needs when we see the needs of our brother or sister, we act on it. And we meet their need out of ours already being met. And we take care of it because we know that God's going to do this. We act with hope, expectation of what God's going to do. I believe God will take care of you. Here's a little bit of help. Not be warm and be filled Hope you find a blanket. God bless you. No. Take care of your brother and your sister. You see a need? Me and I'm not talking about everybody and their sisters who's doing it wrong. I'm talking about everyday life, people all around you. I see them every day here in this church. They have a need. So help meet the need. What's the big deal? The problem with many of the homeless that are running around is that they were removed from the church because the church wouldn't meet their needs. Didn't care for them. Their family didn't care for them. They became homeless. They have no family. They have no friends. They have no hope. Hope responds. That's the lens. And then the, the asking before we can receive wisdom lens. I call it. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God and it will be given to you. Jesus said, ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. Ask the Father, he will provide it for you because you asked in my name, because of what I'm about to do, because of who I am, because of what God desires to do in your life, because God loves you. See, God has this wondrous response to our dirt and our sin. 
And the response of God is this glorious grace as he washes us clean. And many times in the midst of it, you'll hear him laughing. Let's watch this clip. It's kind of fun. You see, the waters of life flow in and out of our life as a result of what Jesus has done. And God is waiting to answer our prayers that are prayers of importance. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, help me, guide me, lead me, teach me. And he responds and pours it out into our lives. And we find ourselves surprised by grace because we expect something else. But because of what Jesus has done and who he is, because we know him, we begin to see who the Father really is. This wondrous, wondrous God full of grace and love who is desiring to care for us and draw us into his care. But then the last thing, it says he presents to us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit I call feel me time. So you've got, you got to see me, you've know, you got to know me, and then you've got to feel me. The Holy Spirit is this wonderful subjective aspect by which he pours into our life this sense of who God is and this, this wondrous joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. All these things that are invisible, but you can feel them. You can experience them in your life as you respond to the Spirit's call. He deals with the issue of our counsel. He's the parakletos, the counselor, the lawyer. Jesus is truth personified. The Holy Spirit is truth clarified. So Jesus is truth personified. The Holy Spirit is truth clarified. It divinely inspires and illuminates truth. The world won't accept its advice. The world won't accept its counsel. They'll choose blindness over truth. He provides us with inspiration, providing truth through the word of God, both as we speak and hear Jesus' words and the words of the apostle that are divinely anointed by the Holy Spirit to share with us the needed areas that we desperately need to understand. And then there's illumination. As we read through the word of God, the Holy Spirit gives us insight. Because those moments we go, I get it, if only for a few minutes. (laughs) Sometimes I go, I got it, and I go, I lost it. I got it. And I, I lost it again. And there's, there's a sense of, okay, keep reading, keep studying. And there, yeah, I got it. Aha, illumination. The Holy Spirit brings it clearly to our hearts, both conviction of truth and comfort from the truth that he presents. It's both objective and subjective. So Jesus said, if you're faithful to my teachings, you'll know the truth. You'll experience the truth. And that truth, because you're living on it, will set you free. He's not talking about confessing lies or coming to a place about where we know what is true about somebody's thoughts or ideas. He's saying it's a place where we begin to comprehend the reality of truth in relationship to death and in relationship to people. Accepting truth. Reading it and accepting it draws us closer to the Father of truth, the creator of all mankind. And as we begin to accept that and believe it and accept it, we find ourselves more clearly comprehending who God is. But as we reject that truth, as we instead choose to believe a lie, the same thing happens In the opposite way, it pushes us farther and farther and farther from God. And that's why 
when we get involved in areas of sin in our life and we refuse to repent of it and come to God and speak the truth, we resist coming to worship Him at church. We resist being involved with Him. We resist it because we are being pushed away and pulled away from truth towards lies. Truth changes everything. It sets us free to live life in reality. Not the fantasy that we want to live, but the real life that God desires us to live. Jesus tries to tell us the problem. With every distortion of God in my mind and in my lifestyle, there's a corresponding problem in our relationship to God himself. We fall into this world of fantasy and falseness. We begin to say, well, God is love and therefore he won't do that. And I tell you, no, God is truth as well as love. And he will say what needs to be said, even if it hurts you. He will not lie. He will speak the truth, whether you're ready to hear it or not. Jesus said, this is the reason I was born. The reason I came into the world, to tell people the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. The truth penetrates their heart. You absorb his teaching. You become a a receiver and a giver of life. Now, Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he says, you need to hear the truth about this. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, Jesus said, he will guide you unto all truth. Not the truth you want to hear, but the real truth about who you are and what is truly happening. For many of us, when we get an appointment with a doctor of truth, we all want a second opinion. Isn't it truth? That's the truth. Yeah. I go, well, well there's got to be another. There's got to be something else. That, that can't be. And the Lord's saying, Lee, this is the truth about what is happening, about what is going on. Jesus said, I'm the light. And sometimes that's hard to handle, get our arms around. It's not comfortable. But when you do, you begin to have these wonderful, truth-filling, intimate moments with God the Father. If you're faithful, you remain in the word. You let it penetrate. You respond to it. You work it out. You stay there. I'm going to do what he told me to do. And finally, as you come to know the truth and respond to the truth, the truth sets you free. I was an incredibly good liar before I became a Christian. And the problem with lying is it's very hard to remember what the old lie was. And then when someone would confront you, you make up a new lie about that lie. And if you're good with words, you can make people actually believe that you're telling the truth. But they have this thing in their back of their head that's going, I think he's lying to me. Jesus is saying, if you know the truth, you don't have to remember what you said before. See, the greatest thing about having a memory that fails me now is I know I told you the truth last time, so... I know what I told you. It's the same thing. I don't have to remember any lies. It's unnecessary. The truth sets you free. The Spirit brings truth. He also brings love. We have all these different words for love in the Greek. You know, phileo, brotherly love. Uh, We have eros. This is passionate love for one another. And the word used here is actually used over 20 times is uh, agape. So he uses this word agapeo and agape. And and it's a picture of, of... we call it love as a verb. It might be the best way to put it. It's active, energizing, uh, sacrificial love. I love you, so therefore I go to the cross to die for you. 
I love you, therefore I'm willing to serve you. It's willing to speak the language of love to those that are around you so they can hear it clearly. That's agape love. Whatever language it is, if it's a language of service, then you serve. If it's a language of gifts, then you give. If it's a language of affirmation, encouragement, then you affirm and you encourage. Whatever that language is, the language of touch, you share that language and you speak love one to another. The Holy Spirit brings that into your life. Love is patient and kind and doesn't envy and doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So you lay whatever you did next to that and say, is it love? And it tells you whether it was or whether it wasn't. And that's the love that the Holy Spirit can pour into our life and give to us. As the Father loves you, so I have loved you, and may you love one another. And then he says he also provides us with this remarkable peace. And the term for peace here, there's really two different terms in the, in the Old Testament concerning peace that I think he's referring to here. One is the term shalom. We used it earlier. Aniva shalom Chaya. Okay, remember that. The peace of Jesus be with you. And that's all we're really talking about in all these different areas here is that this formation of peace within our lives from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when he uses the term shalom, um, he's talking about this absence of anxiety. So in Philippians, the way he puts it, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything. Present your request to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's this peace that, that transcends our understanding. We don't know why we're at peace. We just know we are. It's just, it's a, it's a subjective thing. It's not objective. You can't identify why I am. I just am. It's the peace that God gives. It's not as the world gives. It's not given on the basis of you got all your ducks up, lined up in a row, everything's organized, everything's set up, all the people are ready to go. Okay, I have peace. It's going to happen. We've got luncheon today. It's going to take place. We've got food. We've got napkins. We've got plates. We've got, oh, no, I've got the forks. It's a peace that's removed from you doing things. It's just a peace that only God gives us, this wonderful, remarkable peace. Shalom. Peace that guards. It's not anxious. It doesn't strangle you is actually the word for it. I love that picture. It doesn't strangle you. It doesn't settle other things in you. It doesn't let things settle inside of you that would strip you from your peace. Instead, it allows the flow to continue to come through your life, a flow that's remarkable and meaningful and powerful. The peace of God will guard you. It's settled by Jesus. There's no more discussion. There's no more concern. It's shalom. It's harmony. It's health. It's relationships. It's peace. The Holy Spirit wants to give that to you. And then he says shalem is the other word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So one is guarding. This one is ruling. Different, different picture entirely. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. This is a picture of restored peace. Restored peace by payment. I... Uh, paid off uh, my car the other day. I felt great peace. Okay? No car payment. And then I brought my used car to my mechanic. And he said, Lee, I don't have good news. There's nothing worse than having your mechanic call you up and say, Lee, I don't have good news. Well, I guess it's, if your name's not Lee, it's okay. But What news? Well, go, 
man, seriously? Jesus says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Don't, don't allow this to kind of pull the peace from you. It's restored by a payment. It's, it's restored by restitution. Somebody stole something, they pay it back. We take care of it. It's done. We got peace. It's, it's paid off. It's restored by a payment of a vow. I said I would do that. Now it's done. It's taken care of. We go, man, that's the picture of the peace of Christ that rules in our heart. It's, it's an active action by us. It's an active response to God in those areas in our life to restore the peace that he wants us to have as a result of our newfound walk with Christ. I love Ephesians 5.18 when it says it this way, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. Be filled. And this interesting picture of being filled, it's like it's, it's, it's the wind of God. It's the Spirit of God that's, that you're in a sailboat, and it's the wind that's pushing your sails, and, and, and it's the wind of peace, and it's the wind of hope, and it's the wind of love, and it's the wind of faith. And it pushes you in the direction that God wants you to go in because it's the only way you can go and those are filling in your sails. That's what happens and you have peace. You've heard me say I'm going away, but I'm coming back. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father because the Father's greater than I am. I've told you now, before it happens, we know what it is. So that when it does happen, you'll believe I'm not going to say much more to you because the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Jesus finishes his comments with clarification. One last time, he says, yes, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. You heard me, right? I have peace that I want to give to you. It's yours to have. You can enjoy it. You can rejoice in it. You can embrace it. If you'll choose to. See, I want you to understand something. There's a liar that's going to come into place here. He's going to try to say that Satan is the one who set all this up. And it's not true. Satan has no power over me. None. God will use this fallen angel who is a very powerful, powerful being. But in relationship to me, has no power. He is not God. He doesn't have anywhere near those abilities. I choose because the Father's directing me to give my life so that you might have life. I choose it. Satan cannot touch me unless I allow him. See, that's the final cry trying to remind them. This isn't about me failing to be able to resist the power of Satan and of evil. This is about me using the power of Satan and evil to bring life and hope and peace to everyone in the entire world. See, Jesus said, I am. The Holy Spirit said, I, I am. And the Father says, no, no, I am. And all three know me, see me, feel me. Listen to me, because I am God. The early church used to do a simple declaration of the wondrous glory of the Trinity, and it was called the doxology. You guys know that? Let's watch this clip, and then we're going to sing it together as the band comes up. The little one saying amen back there? It was 
right on time. Van, why don't you come on up? Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chance we've had today to remind us of who you are. As we look at your son, we see you. As we look at who he is, we see you. As we experience the Holy Spirit in our life, we see you. And we know your son. And we feel this wonderful, glorious touch of your spirit. Uh, But it's more than feelings. It's hope and peace. It's faith and love. It's even truth. So we ask it today, as we close this time together, Lord, that you'll hear our prayers. We present them to you. Some of us are going to write them down on a slip. We're going to lay them in these things. We're going to pray this week. And we're going to ask that you will do something special. Remind us again of who you are as we give our lives to you and yield to your will in our lives. Lord, speak to us. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, allow them the privilege of recognizing that you are a God who hears. And as they cry out and say, Lord Jesus, hear me, speak to their hearts this day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's sing that doxology together. Then we're going to fill out those little forms. We're going to take an offering. And then we're going to do a a final song that uh, Glenn's going to lead us in, I think. Okay? All right, please stand with me as we sing this song together.